Good morning, everyone. Heartily welcome to this uh, seminar. My name is Hjetil Selvik. Uh, I have the pleasure of hosting this event today on a very interesting topic of global concern, which is the crisis of problems of, of journalism, quality journalism, and professional journalism, and the potential role that technology can have in not causing this crisis, which is usually the focus, but potentially also mitigating the crisis. We are have the pleasure of having uh, Walid al saqaf here today from Södertörn University in Sweden. Now, Walid has a very interesting background because he is he's both an expert of computer engineering and an ancient journalist who is now an academic working on questions of digital journalism. So please, Walid, the floor is yours. Thank you, Ketel. Uh, it's been a great pleasure to uh, be here at this uh, prestigious institute. And I'm really delighted to come to you with something unorthodox, something new. Uh, as uh, mentioned earlier, I have a dual a hybrid background in computer engineering from uh, the Middle East Technical University, and I'm glad to have one of my alumni colleagues here, um, His Excellency Mr. Fazli Turman, who is the ambassador to uh, uh, Norway, is Turkish ambassador. So he knows how prestigious that institute is in terms of giving me the knowledge to in technology. But I also have um, a, um, a journalism history as well, because I worked as an editor-in-chief of the Yemen Times in Yemen, my home country, original home country, and then I pursued my higher studies in journalism. So I want to bring these two worlds together. Sometimes it works, sometimes not so. <laughs> Today I hope to uh, persuade you that there might be some chance of uh, perhaps looking at another technology apart from the internet, which we have seen has influenced uh, journalism in different ways. But uh, I know the topic might appear daunting, especially if you've already started to look into what blockchain is and how it works. Uh, hopefully, I'll try to break it down so that it makes more sense. And I'll start with something that you already know. Uh, I think you have seen this. Some of you have seen this before. Uh, this is basically what we now use on a daily basis to uh, communicate. It is called the Internet. I mean, this is the visual map of how it looks. It's... Uh, done uh, in, uh, by the Internet Mapping Project, the Bell Labs Lumeta Corporation. And it represents not necessarily uh, a common uh, one platform, but a network. And this is what Manuel Castells is describing the Internet as the network is the message taken from uh, Marshall McLuhan's popular phrase about the media. And the notion here is that the way this network is designed, it makes it unique, makes it different than what we had in the past, because it has three main characteristics. First, it is global in nature. It, it, it defies boundaries. It has nothing to do with national boundaries. You don't have um, um, you know, Swedish internet, and Norwegian internet, uh, Yemeni internet. I mean, it, it's a global network. So it means that it, it defies or, say, it cross, transcends borders. And then it has the open architecture. And then when the first the, uh, the initiative of the design was put place in put in place, 
and uh, spearheaded by the fathers of the internet and then the Internet Engineering Task Force, they made sure that the architecture is a standard and open so that the open source standard makes it possible for scientists, for engineers to find uh, interoperability measures and to make it more or less uh, uh, immune from being taken over by one corporation or patents, etc. So that's very interesting about this technology. And the third one is that it has to be decentralized. So there is no single entity in charge. And so these uh, three uh, characteristics are quite vivid in this picture, which on the one hand represents the globe, open in, in the nature that it is visible. You can see how the uh, various packets are transferred from one point to the other, and it has no center, no central authority in charge, so it's decentralized. And sometimes I jokingly refer to this as <laughs> the, <laughs> the notion of it's a bit uh, far-fetched, but it's, as a joke, it shows that sometimes you just can't find a way to disrupt this unless you destroy all the nodes or find a way to disfigure the whole system. And that's what caused this uh, revolution from these very old means to something more efficient, faster, more versatile, accessible, and has a global uh, reach and easier to set up now with smartphones available. So the technology does not... Uh, one that at the beginning appeased governments, it actually disrupted how governments work. It made um, control very difficult. It made information flow much more seamless and cross-boundary. Instead of fighting the Internet, then governments had to find ways of dealing with the Internet and working their ways through sometimes cyber laws, other measures, but not uh, being able to uh, take back control. So that's what happened. And so uh, if you think of the Internet, the, you come to a point of decentralization as being one of the main themes, as we noted. And so decentralization means that you can communicate with anyone. You have a friend in China or Russia or in the U.S., you can easily send them an email, and this email would be routed through the, uh, the shortest path on the Internet. So it means that peer-to-peer, -peer it makes it possible to not use a third party, not use a central authority. So you can have this person on the far left reach another person through the network without having to go to a particular entity that allows it to, I'll say, a gatekeeper that allows it to monitor and so forth. And this made email, for example, possible because by email you can send from one point to the other without having to use a central authority. But it also made possible to exchange files, such as the uTorrent peer-to-peer network, which allows you to send files and share files. So these are two typical examples. But there is a problem with this. If you, note, if you want to use a system that relies on not copying, because this is a reflection of how you copy a message. When I send a real post, I don't copy the post. I send the actual post. So I go to the mail, and the post itself leaves my destination and arrives to the other destination. I can use this, for example, to send my passport, uh, send certificates, or send something valuable. So whenever you use this on something of value, it, it fails. So if you send something that you don't want to remain in your side, it's just one copy, it fails because the way it works is that simply it transfers information. Uh, it's like copies information, relays the same information, and you have remain maintain your copy. So this means that this form of network will not work for sending value. 
By sending value, I mean sending something that it has to disappear from your end when you send it to the other end. And in a day of um, digital money, for example, digital paintings, digital certificates, you actually need a way to make sure that whenever you send something from your side, it has to disappear. It has to not remain there. For example, if you'd like to sell an original piece of artwork uh, that has been done digitally, you need to find a way to ensure that that no longer exists at your end. The ownership of it moves to another person. And the same applies with uh, certificates because in a, an age of digitization, much of the content that we have today will become digital. So the copies that you have, the hard copies, will have to be uh, have some form of digital equivalent. And so this digital equivalent needs to stay as one copy. This one copy needs to move from one person to the other. Ownership moves. How do you do that with the internet? That wasn't possible until the invention of the blockchain. And so what the blockchain does facilitates, if you want to remember one simple thing, is that it allows the application of the internet as the background, let's say, infrastructure to transfer value so that anything of value moves from one node actually disappears from that aspect and actually becomes owned by the next node that you're sending to. And so uh, the way that it is done is basically thinking of it as a ledger. You know, when you want to send money, this is a very simple, mundane thing that you think of when you consider value. If you want to send money from one account to the other, what happens usually, in the traditional sense, is that you go to a bank, and in the bank you have a, a person, accountant, whoever is in charge of the accounts. And that person would have a ledger. And this ledger would note that, for example, that the first day you both opened the account, you had zero balance. The next day, one of a... Uh, account A loaded one hundred kroners, and then uh, um, that person and uh, the, the third day came and then transferred that fifty. Fifty of that was transferred to this person. So now you have in the ledger that A has fifty and B has fifty. Okay, this is how a ledger works. There is a central authority. You go to it. You record what you want to transfer or you want to deposit, and that person is entrusted. So you may have a third party. This third party is the bank. Actually, if you want to ask or intervene, please do so. You're very welcome to do so. So what happens now is that this bank has become very powerful. It is the person or entity that is in control of the ledger. So there are hypothetical scenarios where the bank can fail, in which case your ledger, your inf the information about what you own is gone. Uh, there might be cases of hacking. So your bank can be hacked and the data can be distorted or destroyed. And so there are various scenarios where a single point of failure, being the bank, can lead to catastrophes, to disasters. Another thing is that it adds a lot of cost because the bank will have to get its reward somehow. It has to get apply fees. It has to apply some form of compensation for its work. So the idea behind the blockchain is that what if we have the ledger, ensure that the ledger exists. But instead of having it at a single entity, why not have the ledger at every single entity? So you can see here, I don't know if this is, yeah. So this is the ledger. So this ledger that used to be at the bank is now moved so that a copy of it exists at every single node who is transacting on the network. So the, the center in, is no longer needed because the same ledger, the, uh, the ledger that is uh, supposed to be authentic and authoritarian, or let's say has the authority to include all the data, now actually exists 
with every single node on the network, full node on the network. So in this way, you have a method of eliminating the center. And, and if, if, uh, if no question is posed, then I can presume everyone is getting it, <laughs> hopefully. So, but the thing is that you have to find a, a way in which every single point agrees that this is the correct ledger. And that's what Bitcoin, uh, through this paper, introduced, which is developed by Satoshi Nakamoto, allegedly a, a person or a team. And it was introduced with a, a proof of concept in a paper that said this is possible using a mechanism called mining, in which you mine the currency and you produce it and you pr prevent the double spend problem, which means that you don't have a per single person having the value twice, as we uh, mentioned earlier with uh, content on the internet. And so to do that, it is a, a rather complex method in which you can do mining. There are various uh, videos on the internet. In fact, I, I, hold, I held several workshops for three hours simply to explain what mining is. So <laughs> I don't think we have time for that. But there is a very ingenious method of helping introduce a, a system, a checks and balances to ensure that the ledger is in fact maintained in, uh, accurately for all the nodes. And uh, why did this happen? The idea behind it might you can actually get inspiration from the first incident of the block, uh, the first block of the blockchain of Bitcoin. The, the blockchain, the first blockchain put a message, this message, a block of the blockchain put this message, which was about the uh, a news article published in January 2009, saying that the chan chancellor on brink of second bailout for of banks, for banks. So it meant that this actually meant that they wanted to disrupt the central control of banks in this concept. It didn't say it explicitly, but you can read in between the lines why they decided this particular entity would be put in place. And this is the actual story. So this has become immoralized in this blockchain. So you cannot remove it anymore. And so what it works is that unlike the central system, which is the centralized form of a network, which is used to be the way that governments would apply for calling international calls, for example, or a bank being able to use itself as a third party to connect nodes. This is the system that has been in place for the internet. So the internet itself meant that you will have smaller nodes and bigger nodes and this is a hierarchy that exists. So far in the progress of Bitcoin, we have this distributed method, meaning that every single node has a replica of the various, the information or the ledger of the node. So these are the three models. And so far in the Bitcoin network and blockchain, we have this one here. And each one has its various pros and cons, and this one has also its cons. And by the way, when I introduced the topic of blockchain and journalism, I wanted to make sure you get at least a basic idea of what blockchain is, because without that, you might not understand why it might be useful. <clears throat> and so it, it would take time to absorb this information, but yeah, trust me, over time, you'll get to know what I mean. So uh, the thing about the blockchain is that we, because of its design, it has three major characteristics. The first characteristic is distributed, is that it has the same information, let's say, ledger distributed across various nodes. So it means that you need not to trust intermediaries anymore. So you don't have a central authority. And this has, we have established this. 
The second thing, which is also important to note, is that it is traceable because what happens on the blockchain is that transactions that are kept on the ledger are maintained. So you can actually go back in time and see various, you know, who sent who at what time over time. So you can actually go back and, and prove provenance. You can verify the transactions route, what it took to get from point A to point B. And it's also immutable because what happens here is that since you have, let's say, thousands of nodes, it is not possible to go and alter one without having to alter the history of all the nodes and across the world. So this, when you say immutability, it means it is not possible to change in the past because it's too costly. It requires you to actually change the history of, to take control of all these nodes and then change the history. So it's not 100% bulletproof, but it's much more secure than any system we know of because it, it requires that the majority of nodes be hacked. And that's virtually very, if not impossible, very, very, very difficult. So these are three characteristics that this design provides because of what we have explained earlier. And so, what does this have to do with media and the internet? And that's a legitimate question because that's what we'll be going next. Because of these characteristics, there are several entities and, and uh, media corporations that are beginning to shed light on why the blockchain is in interesting and important. And these have become a, a focus on several uh, news uh, corporations such as Forbes and Bloomberg due to reader interest. So it, the readers themselves are driving news, as you've uh, noticed in the past. And so the huge hype in the, let's say, cryptocurrency market, the rise of the Bitcoin price, all of these things led to users begin, becoming curious. So now media and, and the journalists are beginning to look into it as well, not necessarily because they love it, but because there is more user interest, reader interest. And then there was a phenomenon. This phenomenon is called initial coin offerings. And these are basically the replication of the Bitcoin uh, blockchain in different names, under different names, under different protocols. And that means they'd like to create their own coins. So that means that each Bitcoin has inspired others. Okay, since Bitcoin was created, then it's possible now to create a number of different coins. And these uh, coins ended up having their own what is called initial coin offering, and which is a fundraising campaign. Uh, and that has uh, emerged in the connection to media because there are some that have used the this scope of media and journalism to allow them to um, generate money for them. And a very good example is a social media network uh, that's been successful and uh, has, I'll give you some examples later. And there's also been uh, a, a number of technical uh, groups meeting that, for example, the IEEE, uh, where I'm also a member of one of their committees on blockchain, they have also been working on standards because for how long can you stay without a standard? So there isn't a competing paradigm. There are competing paradigms, competing interests in making sure that technology continues and becomes more standardized because otherwise they will um, create too many standards and not uh, mass adoption will be very difficult. So will there be an opportunity? Like the early internet, there were versions of the internet, basically. And then they en ended up dis uh, deciding on taking the TCP IP uh, standard protocol as their way forward. So right now we are at a very early stage of deciding which standard will succeed. And <coughs> um, because it's very early 
and it allows more pe for, for more risk tolerance. Um, for example, I, for one, I'm not a really big investor in this field, but I'm a, a researcher. And so this is a ripe moment for me to see which one of these uh, models or paradigms are useful. And this is very widely reported, and media have now the ability to see to it that they are early, uh, they join early in understanding how this evolution is taking place, unlike when the in internet started, when they didn't really grasp the opportunity to understand what importance it has and how it can change the world as we know it. They came rather late. And so right now it's, it's possible for media to uh, have their own research entities. They have their own observation uh, units to see where this technology can take us. And so these are examples of how one can be involved in this space. And these are the uh, typical uh, ones, examples that I often show that of projects that are related to journalism and blockchain. The, by far the most popular is called Steemit, and it's a social network based on the blockchain. It's similar to Twitter and similar to Facebook in the sense that it allows anyone to join, but remarkably enough, it has no central server. There is really no central server in place. It's all the data that's stored on, these, uh, on the Steemit network is basically on the nodes of competing nodes, uh, the, uh, the hard disk of, of um, nodes that are joining the Steemit network. But there are also more ambitious projects, very closely connected to journalism. So this is social media in general, but this is purely for journalistic purposes. And it's one I've written a paper on that I'll describe later. And then we have other examples here. These are all trying to find ways in which you can, one can utilize blockchain. There are uh, some that are more uh, less, let's say, successful, but they are still working on uh, producing that. However, I'd like to note here that this is uh, an area where many have died out because it's difficult to understand how the market will react to your ideas. So I would say less than 5% would succeed in this space optimistically speaking. So when you think of journalism and benefits, you would like to understand how is it that these three characteristics, as we noted, traceability, distribution, and immutability, how are these uh, able to help with journalism, improve journalism? So one impor important aspect that I put at the very center is combating disinformation. And in, maybe in the invitation you saw on the website, you Notice that there was a picture with fake news highlighted in the middle. So this is where this comes out as one of the main uh, use cases that I'll go through. But there are also others, such as improving economic viability, incentivizing creative, uh, creating content, data-driven journalism, and something I'm, I'm fond of because of my uh, interest in quantitative data analysis. Then you have monetizing content, preserving intellectual property, archiving securely because of the immutability aspect, resisting censorship because there's no place where you, you can call, let's say, uh, that, that's controlled by any government, and protecting whistleblowers, and there are some projects in that sense. So you have multiple aspects. Uh, you, saw, you note here the dots, uh, the stars, and then arcs, and you see that there is a commercial aspect in some of them, and there's an editorial operations in any and others. And this is where one of the interesting phenomena is happening. You have an increasing number of media, uh, let's say businesses around the world that are accepting crypto payments. And these are mainly predominantly in the uh, Europe, Western Hemisphere, 
but there are also some that are emerging in the South America. And you may have heard the news, even in Venezuela, there's been a very strong interest in you know, Bitcoin and using that to combat the uh, uh, inflation of the local currency there. And so, yeah, there are emerging points here in this website. I recommend if you want to know which ones are they accepting, you will be surprised at how many they are. But then also there are various news uh, promoters of this field. And there are, uh, these magazines are getting more and more publicity. And there are podcasts and there are uh, channels that are gaining momentum. So this is increasingly becoming a journalistic subject. It's no longer a niche subject. And this is a very optimistic view of how the future might look like. Because what happens now is that because of the blockchain's ability to be immutable uh, and distributed and open, you can run various operations on the blockchain. And these are called smart contracts. And while it's difficult to explain how it works, but it basically means that whatever rules you take generally with a human being, these rules can be embedded into the blockchain. So it allows you to execute steps. For example, uh, one of the simple contracts that you can consider is um, an association. Let's say you're trying to bring funds or fundraising for a cause. And so you have a deadline, like a Kickstarter. Are you familiar with Kickstarter? Yes. So if you have, let's say, um, a limit of 1,000 kroners and you'd like to have people distribute money, send money to Kickstarter until it arrives to 1,000 by this date, if it does, then you would channel it to the beneficiary. But if it doesn't, you send it back. And whom do you entrust in the case of Kickstarter? Kickstarter. So that's where you entrust because you know they are trustworthy and they take a small fee. But in a blockchain world, you don't trust anyone. You put in a smart contract that basically takes the nodes and calculates through a program when and how these money, uh, these uh, funds were received. And if they are received and fulfill the minimum, which is 1,000, then automatically the script executes itself and sends the money to the beneficiary. If it doesn't arrive, then automatically by the deadline, it sends back the money to the, those centers. So this is basically a script that you can have on the contract, on the blockchain. And blockchains allow storing smart contracts, such as in the case of a very popular uh, blockchain called Ethereum. And it also allows storing content, general content. So you can store programs. And in this case, the journalistic operations can be, let's uh, say, reduced tremendously in terms of uh, work operations and costs. And instead of using humans, that means that they'll use machines, making it faster. Le automatic remittances of fees, etc. The escrow is not necessary anymore. The, the expenses on the long run will be much lower. And it's a virtual presence. Everything is digital, digitally signed. And so lawyers would not be necessary because everything is executed based on the code. So various interesting phenomena. And I'm saying this is among those very progressive ways in which media can operate. And they're already beginning to happen. Uh, there's advertising is broken. Let's fix it. This is a, the theme of AdBank, which is a startup helping ensure that whatever you get advertising shown, automatically the blockchain would calculate how much money you'd, a smart contract would be calculated and then how much money is owned to who, and that money is automatically sent to the account. So all of this will be executed through smart contracts. Uh, the civil space is a very interesting project, and this is uh, one that we've studied deeply, and it hel helps automate a lot of processes in terms of fact-checking or ch checking let's say, the quality of content. And that means that uh, the nodes 
of the network uh, who, who are actually, in this case, journalists of newsrooms, will be the ones to decide the fate of a particular newsroom that's violated the terms. And I'll come to that if we have the time. And this is one of the areas that is very interesting. <clears throat> and I say this is more or less 80% of what I'm thinking of using my research in. <clears throat> Authenticating content. And today, in a fake news-filled world, you have various forms of content. Uh, in workshops I provide, I often show deep fakes, a phenomenon of videos being portrayed as if they were authentic, but they are actually manipulated. And instead of uh, the real image of the actor, you find Nicolas Cage sometimes, various uh, videos, putting Nicolas Cage's page and, uh, pay, uh, face on that person. <clears throat> and then many get uh, actually fooled by this and think this is authentic. But the problem here is that you can actually utilize artificial intelligence. You can have fact-checkers to fact-check if this picture is real or not. But how about if we have the original content, the first time it was published, let's say the original video, put on the blockchain. That original video is like marked as this is certified to be authentic and it was produced by this person on that date and all the data is available. And then any version that comes later can be cross-compared with the blockchain uh, ver verified uh, entry. And if it doesn't ap appear there, then it's not necessarily, it's not authentic. And this is how I think you can mitigate it from the beginning. Instead of fixing it, you can prevent it. And this is, uh, I believe, the next phase where news media will benefit a lot. Not only is it going to be helpful in uh, ensuring that the validity of images and videos are there, but also for text. You can do that for text as well. And uh, this is an example where this can actually protect not only the uh, authenticity, but also the intellectual property. In China, for example, a Supreme Court has issued rules on Internet courts allowing the blockchain to be used as evidence that a particular piece of content has once been stored on the blockchain. And so any person who tries to say that's mine needs to uh, counter that argument. And when did you have this? He would give a date, he would give a time, but then you will see that this exists already on the blockchain. And since the blockchain is immutable in the sense that it has been recorded before your time, you can prove that you are the owner of that content. And the same applies here as well. Uh, even in the U.S., this is being considered. There are some countries are, that are encouraged by this, including the U.S., Sweden, Japan, etc., and even Dubai. So there is increasing inter interest in understanding how you can prove that you are the owner of particular content. And in the case of various means of uh, data journalism, because you are able to track, you can go back in time and see how transactions developed, you can use this to get various interesting stories uh, off the sh table. For example, this is a story about uh, the ransomware attack called uh, WannaCry, if you've heard of it, it was a major hack of several institutions across the world, leading to billions of dollars in loss. And among the victims were the health, public health sector in the UK. So this act, uh, journalist, uh, Keith Collins, had actually developed a tool that allows tracking transactions going to the hacker's account. And this is possible because of traceability. So you can trace back and see who, which account sent to which address. And so this can be done, for example, to understand how the pizza guy that uh, was uh, sent 
10,000 bitcoins today would it would amount to well over for 30 million US US dollars in 2010 where did that money go today easily you can actually get access to that information and the same applies to the case where wikileaks got a lot of content so they uh, money they got funding through bitcoin because all other channels had been closed for them so bitcoin was a way for various people to send money to WikiLeaks. And that is possible to trace as well. You can actually see where this money came from across the globe. And um, I don't know if we can send this, uh, these slides to participants. Each one of these actually is a link. So you, if you click on this in the presentation, you actually see the map and how it's possible to get access to it. And so this is a paper that I've been working on uh, and research. I don't know, I think we are... In terms of time, how are we doing? Okay, we have seven more minutes. <laughs> but basically, we have this uh, work uh, paper that's coming out this year. I wrote it with my colleague, uh, Malin Pigra and Edwardson. And the idea behind it is to see if one of the, civil, uh, the startups that is working on bringing, uh, say, uh, journalists uh, to the blockchain is succeeding or not. And this is called Civil. And uh, Civil is a very sophisticated and difficult to understand project, but it has very big ambitions. Um, it, it, uh, we relied on our research and understanding whether this can work, whether it is possible for a journalistic startup that works on the blockchain to ar arrive to a s situation where it can diffuse its technology. And so we ar argue here through the uh, Rogers uh, theory of diffusion of innovations, if if it has relative advantage, compatibility, the complexity and trialability and observability aspects, then it might actually succeed in replacing the centralized newsroom structure. We came to uh, the conclusion that the blockchain technology can be used. It can be better, a better performer uh, than earlier the technologies in terms of uh, facilitating the detection of quality content. Um, and then it still also has... Uh, the advantage of uh, being not decentralized. You don't have a single gatekeeper, but you have many eyes to, to look into the content and see where it is held. But of course, it's still uh, new, and so there are aspects of it that are disruptive. There is going to be a power relations struggle because uh, it, not many media will agree on letting go of their gatekeeping power. And so there is a conflict between those who are working for the decentralized uh, level, uh, pl level playing field for everyone to have same powers and those who want to have extra powers. And, so, and since it's still untested, so far the civil project has not taken off really. <laughs> it's been uh, lagging behind. But it's still untested. It's still difficult to know exactly how this will be uh, used. In, in fact, even within uh, beyond the fintech, which is basically the Bitcoin example here is about fintech, financial tech, sending money, uh, areas beyond money are difficult to prove at this stage. And so it, we, we've seen this happen. It's not the first time that traditional media are losing, you know, to uh, technology de developing uh, let's say, industries and users. Um, the, the various uh, projects that we have, like Facebook and Twitter, have led us to see that, okay, there's compet competition here. It's not only mass media that will be listened to. And so these are examples of how it works. This is a lot of text. I don't think I'll have to go through it all. 
but it's just an introduction of how this uh, model works and how it started. Um, and this is another very, t- I don't want to explain it, but it's a very complicated way in which the civil crypto economics model works. The, uh, if you want to understand one thing from it is that it works on uh, the consensus it, uh, mechanism. That there needs to be many people agreeing on things. No single authority, no single gatekeeper. And based on that, it has a rewarding and punishing mechanism. And so uh, it, it's, uh, I, if you're really interested in it, I recommend looking into their white paper. It's expla- it explains how it works. And so uh, we have understood from this that it is possible to have a decentralized system in place. It's possible to have less control of um, gatekeeping power. Uh, but at the same time, decentralization is limited in what, what you can do in journalism because journalism is not robotic. It's not mechanized. You cannot eventually decide, let a computer decide on your behalf. So you have to de- rely on individuals. And individuals at the very end of the day are human beings. So what happens, for example, if there is a breach of the system through the council. They have the council with higher powers, but that council is made of individuals. It's not made of computer programs. So we come back to the notion of maybe journalism is not, after all, the area where blockchain technology can apply, which might be a surprising outcome since I've been <laughs> bragging <laughs> about blockchain. Um, but it actually has some form of equality distribution. So you have equal distribution of power among various participants to a degree, but not enough to circumvent the council, which is the, the ultimate power in the civil case. You have transparency endorsed, uh, meaning that you know who's uh, voting for who. And there's a smart con- contract system in place that makes it easier for you to know the rules have been followed. That's not possible necessarily in a regular newsroom. Uh, and uh, the last thing is about accountability. To some degree exists because there is um, the risk that the majority will be holding the um, particular, uh, um, the possibility that the majority will be able to uh, hold the council to account in case it breaches the trust of members. But it, def- it has something very common uh, with many of these, let's say, uh, problems when it comes to blockchain is that you rely on common sense to prevail at the node's end. If you remember the f- very first uh, image I've shown about the internet, these nodes are deciding the future of the blockchain. So if the nodes go ori, they go, they go let's say, mad or decide on take, committing suicide, they can destroy the network. But it relies on the uh, the assumption that it is impossible for 51% of one going against their own interests. If that group is small, the likelihood is high. But if that group is very big, like in the case of Bitcoin, the likelihood of the majority of them going against the interests of the network. What's the motivation for users to join a network and to be nodes in the system? Yeah, there, yeah if they believe in this, in this civil case. Yes, if they believe in the cause. And that's basically why the method of joining is that you have to have a journalistic background, understanding of the need to be a properly qualified journalist. Yes. You you mentioned before that this development will increase the power of technology-making organizations. Possibly, yes. And journalists are not there. So why should journalists then uh, deliberately 
they lose power by joining this and to build up that organization. That's, yeah, that's, uh, that's a very good point because civil is the one that's developing the software. Mm -hmm. So they are the one to decide and journalists don't know what the code is. Uh, they don't know how the code is structured. So there is an element of trust involved. So they trust that the coders are going to maintain some form of uh, the main uh, objectives of the network. And, that, and they are not going to be buggy codes or, for example, problematic codes and ethical issues. So, yeah, there is a, 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 a trust element in, in involved. So, as I mentioned, it's very early. We don't know if it succeeds. Centralization of civil tokens, that's also rela related to this, because the civil will have its own cryptocurrency. It's called CVL, similar to the way Bitcoin operates. They will have their own cryptocurrency inside the civil network. So, they will uh, rely on issuing these tokens to, as a mechanism of rewarding individuals. But that means that it's subject to the success of civil itself, whether it will be widely distributed or whether it will be controlled by a small group. That's something we don't know yet, if it will happen. And it also relies on Ethereum, which is the second biggest uh, blockchain, to make it possible for it uh, to operate. So if Ethereum fails, everything collapses uh, for the, the model. They have to find another blockchain to work on. And so this is, I think, the, one of the final <laughs> stage of this presentation. And so it's impossible to finish the process from A to Z purely without involvement of humans in this case. Unlike in Bitcoin where it is possible because there's no human involvement whatsoever in terms of deciding what takes place. In the case of civil, there is eventually someone to decide which is a civil council. It's, these are humans. So they in the end up making a final say on certain things. And that means that full automation is not possible. And uh, because it relies on this civil council, which is a group of individuals uh, working to ensure that the system works seamlessly, then that brings the question of, um, is, is blockchain the suitable method? Is it actually possible to make it like the ideal method of progress in terms of improving journalism? So there is continued work on this that needs to be assessed. We are trying to see if we can develop a, a second follow-up story once the civil really takes off. And so it's, it's still uh, a question if journalism is the area where this technology can be used for changing it, for, let's say, decentralizing it. But that's one question that can be answered in different ways because not, uh, civil is not a representation of all the use cases. It's just one simple case. But they have, we have many other cases such as verification, uh, authentication, and so sort of uh, provenance uh, verification. So yeah, I mean, so basically that was it from my side. Um, if you'd like to involve in collaboration, that's my email. Uh, my, you can also get my card later. And I hope this was a little bit enlightening for you in the, the path towards understanding blockchain and journalism. Thank you very much.